You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. What a great morning, amen. Really thankful our worship team just did an incredible job this morning leading us and declaring the names of the Lord. I think that's such a blessing as we reflect together and as we begin a season of Advent. If you didn't know, we are in a series all of December uh, called Peace on Earth. It is an Advent series, meaning preparing for the arrival of Christ. And last Sunday was technically the first week of Advent, and uh, Pastor Katie shared about preparation. I don't know if you heard that, but it was an amazing message on preparing your heart. The first week of Advent is always preparation. And uh, today we have uh, the blessing of continuing Advent. And so every week what we have is some families, some leaders in our church who are going to come forward and share and pray over Advent. So we have our, our wreath here as well. They're going to light two today because, you know, we didn't put it up last week because some of you guys are sticklers about not Christmas till December. So we waited. Uh, but I'm going to invite up today. Could you welcome with me the Berries, David and Gillian this morning? who doesn't get on the mic much. Um, anyway, good morning, church. Uh, the candle that we are lighting today is hope, and the scripture comes from Isaiah 9, uh, <clears throat> and it says, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. Verse 6, for a child is born to us, a child is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. Thank the berries this morning. Awesome. I like taking the time of Advent excited. I'm really excited for Christmas Eve. We, we're doing two Christmas Eve services this year, 4 and 5 p.m., and we'll do candle lighting. We always do candles, carols, and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's really, really fun. Um, but, yeah, excited about what, what God is doing. I really do want to encourage you. Katie had mentioned it before that, you know, just continuing to be to be generous and engaging in what God is doing. I really do want to encourage you as we are in this season, especially, uh, to remain engaged in what God is doing. And uh, especially, I know some of you guys, uh, you are so faithful and being generous here at the church, and uh, you are reoccurring givers, things like that. Make sure that as the year begins to end, that you go back and check reoccurring and that all that renews. So you don't go to the new year like, what is happening? Um, because, man, God is doing some good stuff. I don't know if you knew this, but literally we are almost to our big toy outreach that normally would be at Tonalea. Instead, it's going to be here, and all the kids from the school are coming here to Banner Church, and we're going to have bounce houses and food and all kinds of things. So I want to invite you to really be praying over that event, interceding that God would move and encourage uh, the families in our community. Because how many of you know that's the goal is not just toys or things. The goal is an encouragement. And, and taking a step, a next step of belief in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. But I'm excited to continue our Advent. Like, like uh, the Berries said this morning, we're talking about hope. Somebody say hope this morning. Hope. Awesome word. 
the word of hope. You know, this week I uh, was going through my emails and uh, I got an email from the AKC, the American Kennel Club. When I got my dog, the person we got it from were like, sign it up with the AKC so that, I don't know, apparently I could get emails about dogs. That's pretty much the only thing it does for me. Um, I'm not going to breed the dog, none of that. Uh, I can barely handle one dog in my house, let alone more than one, which I'm assuming is how breeding works. Um, <laughs> But I got this email this week, and uh, it said, give the gift of hope this Christmas. I see that phrase a lot, give the gift of hope. I thought, what a great thing, what a great message. So I clicked it, rather than, you know, send it to the trash or leave it unread in my inbox. How many of you have like 3,000 unread emails in your inbox, be honest? How many of you, that gives you anxiety that those people exist in the world? Yeah, you're like, I'm sorry, what? Like. <laughs> You want to go to them and find their emails and fix it for them right now. Like right now, we need an altar call. All those people can come forward, me included. You can intercede over them, anoint them with oil, and then delete all of the unread. It's like you can click on Anyways, it doesn't matter. <laughs> but I got this email, and I opened it up. And it was from the American Kennel Club, and it said, Give the gift of hope this Christmas. And it was funding shelters that take in uh, shelters for people. Uh, but specifically for people who are victims of domestic violence, who struggle to take the steps necessary to get out of the situations for fear of what would happen to their pets. So it was a funding for shelters for that. I thought, and it talked about that, about how you can give hope in someone's darkest time. And I thought it was such a profound phrase, and a very profound ministry, obviously, but a profound phrase, hope in the darkest time, because that's really when we need hope the most, right? We need hope the most in the darkest moment. And what a great gift to receive when you are in your darkest place, your darkest time, your darkest moment. What you really need is hope. Hope is a powerful thing, right? Hope is a powerful force. It's, it's light in the darkest time. Hope is the expectation. Let me give you a little definition of hope. Hope is the expectation of the fulfillment of something desired or promised. Hope is the expectation of the fulfillment of something desired or something promised. Something that you long for, that you are expectant that it will be fulfilled. Something that has been promised to you that you are expectant that it will be fulfilled. But, I mean, here today we probably have all varying levels of hope in this room and online. Some of you, you're like on the top of the mountain when it comes to hope. You have like the brightest, brightest light. I just, we just had a Marcus in first service. They just had a baby, and I was like, man, you are like beaming. Every time I talk to you, he's like, this is the greatest. He's, you know, so tired but so excited, right? <laughs> and there's so much hope in that moment. Some of you, you're there, you're like, man, the future's bright. I got great hope. I'm excited. Some of you, you don't, you don't have that. Some of you coming in today, you have very little hope, or you're on your last thread of hope. You're that kind of hope that's like, this better work, or uh, dot, 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 right? Some of you, rather than having a great light, I understand that some people here today and online, you kind of have that flashlight with a dying battery. You know that one in the junk drawer when you really need a flashlight, and you go to the junk drawer and you pull it out, and the batteries haven't been changed for like, since you bought the house, it came with the house in the junk drawer, and you got to keep shaking it to make sure that it still works, and so you're trying to use it, and it's just like, right? Some of you, that's how you feel like with hope. You don't have the great light. You have the spill your coffee all over the stage kind of hope. <laughs> Some of you were looking at your phone. You have no idea what happened. Welcome. Uh, but regardless of where you are with how much hope you do or do not have, I just want to tell you, everybody in this world needs hope. And so today, I want to give you the gift of hope in your life. But if you're saying, man, you know what? I am a bright and shining star of hope. Great. Then it is your responsibility to bring that hope to others. Did you know, church, it's your responsibility to fill this place with people who need hope. It's our, that's our call. That's our mission. That people need hope. Amen? Amen. That's our call to go out. But this morning, if you're like, I don't even have enough hope to share, then I especially want to give you hope today. 
If hope is the expectation of the fulfillment of something desired or promised, then there needs to be something that secures that hope, that secures that promise. There needs to be some kind of power that can fulfill, that can overcome, that can restore. Are you with me? Are we together this morning? Are we here? Everybody say amen. Amen. Okay, we're waking it up, Pentecostals. Here we go. <laughs> there needs to be something that secures it because if I'm going to be honest with you, I can give you hope in the sense that I can encourage your spirit, but I can't be the security of your hope. Anybody who's gone through true darkness, you know that's true, right? The, the, the physical things, the things of this earth, they cannot be the security of your hope, but there must be a securing of your hope. So what secures our hope? It's Jesus Christ. See, today I want to give you the gift of hope, but not false hope, not temporary hope, but eternal hope that is secured in Jesus Christ. Because some of you are in situations today, whether you're here or you're online, some of you are in situations today where you need a very real hope to combat a very real darkness in a very real situation, or some of you, you need a very real hope to take to people that you know that are in very real darkness who need a very real light in their life. Amen? So I want to read to you today about Matthew chapter 4 and look at hope together. But let's pray together this morning. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is alive and active. And I pray this morning, God, that you would stir up hope in this place, in our hearts, in this church. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. All right, let's, let's look at some scripture today. I figured we should probably do that. We're at a church. This is a sermon. We should go through some scripture today. Uh, Matthew chapter 4. We're going to be in two scriptures primarily today. Matthew chapter 4 and Isaiah chapter 9. So if you're not a good flipper and you got your Bible, you, you're like, I finally brought a Bible to church, but I don't want to change too much. Just jump to Isaiah 9 and we'll meet you there. Take a while. You can even open the front. You're like, I'm worried about looking unspiritual. If I look at the little guide in the front, don't worry. No one should judge you. <laughs> Especially if you're looking at the Bible, right, at church. <laughs> Judgment-free zone, right? <laughs> like, oh, look at this guy reading the Bible. <laughs> Nerd. Right? <laughs> so Matthew 4 and Isaiah 9, that's where we're going to be. But Matthew 4 comes right as Jesus is beginning his ministry. He just finished his time in the desert of fasting, and, the, and Satan comes and tries to tempt him, and Jesus says not. And Jesus is leaving the desert, leaving that time, and he begins his ministry. So this is kind of where we're picking up. Matthew 4, verse 12. It says, now when, now when he, meaning Jesus, heard that John the Baptist had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in, in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Quote, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way by the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I mean, is it altar call time? How are we feeling so far? Where? You're like, oh man, when I hear Zebulun, I just get fired up to run forward to the altar. When I hear Naphtali, it's like, oh Jesus, right? <laughs> what does this have to do with Christmas? Not even any reindeer in it, right? This is referencing a really crucial prophecy from Isaiah 9 that has to do with hope. Last week, uh, Katie shared a messianic prophecy from Isaiah, correct? Yes, from Isaiah. And she shared about the promise of the Messiah that would come. This is a messianic prophecy. Isaiah chapter 9. What is a messianic prophecy? Well, messianic prophecy is a word from God about the Messiah that he would send to save the earth, to redeem the earth. Now, just for a second, if we can, can we use our imaginations today? Okay, we need to get in our way back time machine and go way back, okay? So if we get in our way back time machine, we got to go way, way, way back, all the way back to Adam and Eve. That's like, that's a good time machine. This is how I know y'all went to theater 
right, <laughs> right here. They're acting it out. This is good. I like that. It's bu it's a bumpy road. Time is bumpy, right? I like that. That's good. So we're on the way back time machine. That was a bumpy road to get here, but we made it. Time has its bumps, right? And uh, and Adam and Eve in the garden. Adam and Eve are in the garden. God created Adam and Eve to live in relationship with Him in the garden. But instead of choosing the loving relationship of God, they chose pride and selfishness, and they rebelled against God and sinned. But what's amazing is even way back here, way back machine, right? God promises way, way, way back to send a son that would crush Satan under his heel and destroy Satan. Pretty amazing. From that moment, God makes a covenant with the descendants with Abraham. He says, listen, Abraham, through you, I'm making a covenant with you. Through you, I'm going to bring a redeemer who's going to redeem the earth. I'm going to bring a Messiah, a redeemer. And he says, I'm going to set apart your people, and that people are the people of Israel. And the people of Israel are taken and uh, given a covenant by the Lord. They're taken out of a physical slavery of Egypt. They're brought in to the promised land. They're given a covenant by God. God says, I will bring through you. This is the lineage that will restore, bring restoration to the earth is coming through you. But just like Adam and Eve, guess what Israel struggled to do? Walk in obedient relationship with a loving God. And so because of that, they turned from God, and God turned his face and his favor from them, Scripture says, and the enemies began to come against them, both because of their choices and because of an act of judgment against them. So while they are in a difficult and dangerous and uh, brutal place, Israel crumbling, falling apart. God says, I'm still the same God who here promised to send a redeemer and here promised to send a Messiah and here promised to send a redeemer and here promised to send a redeemer. So he sends the prophet to say again, hey, remember, I'm still going to send someone who is going to redeem the earth. Are you still with me? We made it. We made it all the way here. Here we are. We're in Isaiah now. I know it was way back. It was the whole Bible. <laughs> So he sends a prophet to tell the people, listen, I am still going to send. I'm still going to send a Messiah. And here we are, Isaiah 9. You guys ready, Isaiah 9? Okay, this might start sounding familiar. If it starts sounding familiar, just toss up an amen and we'll know that you remembered. Here it is. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought in con into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land— Amen. There we go. Thank you, Mom. Naphtali. <laughs> but in the later time, he has made glorious the ways of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They, re they rejoice before you as with the joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Verse 4 says, For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. You're probably like, I'm sorry, what? Don't worry, I will explain. <laughs> for to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And it says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amen? Let me give you a little context here. Like I said, Israel, Isaiah is speaking to the people of God. But at this time, the kingdom of Israel is divided, Israel and Judah. And so specifically, Isaiah is speaking here to a kingdom of Judah ruled by a king named Ahaz. And Ahaz was an evil king. I feel like you could guess it from the name. I'm just saying. 
I don't know if it matters, but I feel like Ahaz sounds like an evil name. If this were like an 80s sci-fi comedy, I feel like maybe Ahaz and then Krull. Those would be the two main leaders that would be evil, and they would come out of a skeleton-shaped castle or something, right? Um, <laughs> you guys, if you watch the same movies I watched growing up, you know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> uh, but Ahaz was an evil, evil king. We know that because Scripture says he was evil. <laughs> so the people of God are in a time of war. They're in a time of distress. They're in a time of evil. They're in a time of darkness. They are a people living in great fear. They are surrounded by empires who are now coming against them and wanting to take their wives and their children away, who are wanting to take them into captivity, who are wanting to destroy them and do unspeakable things to them. They are in a time of great tension. I don't know how you feel about things going on politically now. This is worse, right? This is a very, very brutal situation. They are surrounded by the enemy. It is a dark time, and in the darkness, there is very little hope. And so when God speaks through Isaiah, he's speaking a prophecy of hope by initially giving us a contrast. He's saying, listen, the north is divided, Zebulun and Naphtali. By the way of that, it is divided. But listen, I'm speaking hope that will come through the people. And he's focusing on another kind of king. He's announcing another kind of king, which is a bold move when there's already a king. I don't know if you watch anything medieval-focused, but usually if there's a guy already in charge, it's like bold to be like, and this guy's now coming, right? But he begins to announce another kind of king, specifically focusing on a Davidic king who would bring light and peace to the people. It is so contrasting that in uh, chapter 7, verse 14, we see a similar contrast to King Ahaz. Isaiah 7, 14 says, The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. Why is that important? Because King Ahaz refused the good and chose evil. And so God says, I'm sending a Davidic king. That sounds great. Like, who is he? What is, he? What is a Davidic king? Well, Davidic king means from the line of David. David is one of the most famous kings in Israel. One of the most famous kings, I, I would be bold enough to say, in history, King David. He was deeply loved by God. He was a continuance of the line of Abraham. And God promised to David in 2 Samuel, he made a covenant through David to establish a throne that would live forever through David. Pretty amazing. And so the Davidic king was seen and always referred to as this perfect image of a kingly Messiah who would be coming to give the people of God a greater victory and establish an eternal peace and eternal justice. That is who they had hoped for, was this king. King David was like the, the, the most epic. He was like the, the best. You know, if we like had like the most epic president ever, and then they're like, I'm going to send an even more perfect version of that. Be like, oh, that's how we could do with one of those, right? That is what they're hoping for. That is what they're believing for. And so Isaiah is prophesying about he who will fulfill what God has promised all the way back here in the Wayback Machine in Eden. Isn't that amazing? That what I read about Jesus here who's saying he's fulfilling it is what Isaiah is now promising from the Lord, which is what he has promised way back in Eden. God is about fulfilling promises. That's the God we serve. Saying this is what God has promised. Remember, hope is the expectation of the fulfillment of something desired or promised. God says, I have promised it. I know the times are dark, but I have not forgotten you. I have not given up on you. I am sending a light for you. And he gives them this prophecy. In fact, he gives them a royal birth announcement. He gives them this birth announcement of royalty that will come for them. Here's what he says, Isaiah 9-2. Everyone still with me in Isaiah? Are we still there? Okay, good. Hold on. I can drink this coffee before I spill more. We got some good coffee. Isaiah 9-2 says this. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Somebody say light. 
those who dwell in a land of deep darkness. On them a light has shone. I love the poetry of the beginning of this birth announcement, this royal birth announcement. It's a birth of a, a great light. I want to just imagine, if we can, how dark the ancient world actually was. We talked about this a little while back. Spiritually, think, you know, focus. Spiritually, the ancient world was actually quite dark. It was quite dark. There was a lot of fear. But physically, it was also very dark. <laughs> Have you ever been somewhere where there's no light pollution? You're like, this is what the earth was like, right? <laughs> it's, it's like, it's terrifyingly dark. Like, I have a wild imagination. So if I get out and it's dark, I imagine there's some, there's just creatures roaming 30 feet tall. Like, I don't know what I just, I see. It's, it's, when it's dark, I don't know, my brain just runs wild. We go camping up on the Mogollon Rim, and we do the kind of camping where you, like, dig a hole and have a bucket as your bathroom, that kind of camping. Uh, and so what happens is, like, I know there's animals out here because I saw them when we were setting up our camp, Right. And I assume the animals that eat the animals, like the turkeys and stuff I saw, come out when those turkeys are asleep. So what happens is when I get up in the middle of the night and have to go to the bathroom, you know what I'm talking about here? There is a very real calculation going on in my mind. <laughs> because I got a flashlight, maybe a gun, I don't know, depending on the trip. <laughs> right? And I know that bucket's a ways away from camp. It's not right by the tent, guys. It's not right by the tent. It's a ways out. And I got to do a calculation because when I get out there with a the flashlight, it is so dark. If there's no moon outside, it is so dark. My lifeline is that flashlight, right? If that flashlight goes off, I'm dead. I'm dying, right? That's what I, I firmly believe that with all of my heart because I sit there like on that, on that bucket and I, every twig that breaks, it's like snap. Look at our up into the tree. It's like there could be jaguars. Right? You don't know. It's just the one time. I'm not, I'm not the guy with his pants down getting killed by a jaguar. That's all I'm saying. That is not how I will be remembered. But, but it's real because in the darkness, you are so dependent on that light. If that flashlight goes off, just hear me just scream like a little girl in the middle of the woods, right? I don't care how armed you are in the pitch black, you're still screwed. Mountain lion, right? Just like that fast, right? Because when things are truly dark, you are so dependent on that light. You're so dependent. The ancient world was profoundly dark. And so to give the gift of light was to give the gift of hope. It was to give the gift of clarity. It was to give the gift of possibility. It was to be given something great. Light was a sign of hope and deliverance for a land that was physically dark, but spiritually dark, was nationally dark. It was in conflict, in struggle, in trial, in demonic forces, in things coming. It was very, very dark. But the light was a sign of hope and deliverance for them. It was a sign that God had not given up on his people. I just want us to understand that light was crucial to life. So when he's saying, like, you've received a great light, we have lights everywhere. They've almost become normal for us. But as an example of hope, it is crucial. It is that flashlight in the dark. It is the thing. It is that torch. It is that thing to cling to. He says, you who were lost have now received everything. In Scripture, God is light, Psalm 27. God's words are light, Psalm 119, 105. And God sent His Son to be light, John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him not anything was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And he says, because of that hope, here's what he says, Isaiah 9.3. Everyone's still with me? Isaiah 
Isaiah 9 through here is what he says. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with the joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divided the spoil. I love this. This isn't any kind of hope. This is real hope that inspires real joy. When you get a hope, when you hope in Jesus, you can have joy in situations that seem to not be full of joy. Because look, he says, they're going to have joy like when you receive a harvest like this is uh, modern terms right you're gonna have joy like you got the biggest bonus check ever like praise god right you're gonna have joy like they divided the spoils i've never conquered a nation so uh modern example of something else i've never done either i kind of imagine it's like winning the super bowl and them handing you the trophy right it's like they just called Patrick up, and it's like, hey, Patrick, this is your friend Tom Brady. I want to let you know I need you on the line ASAP, and you go. And for some reason, you're an eligible receiver downfield, and you catch that ball for the game-winning touchdown, and you win, and you defeat, hopefully, the Rams. Boo. And, uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> and then you, they hand you the trophy, and you're just like, what is this? That's, I imagine that's what that feeling is. Just as an example. I hope that makes sense. I know you're a big football guy. so. Uh, <laughs> but God says you're going to jump for joy because hope inspires joy. It's not manufactured happiness. It's inspired by hope. God says, remember Midian? I love this. He throws a little shade at their former enemies. Like, remember Midian? Remember how they oppressed you? He says, I'm this uh, person who's going to come is going to break away your oppression like I broke away the oppression of Midian. The oppressive weight of sin and shame, they're going to break that off. This son, this king, this Messiah will break it off and defeat the enemy. This is what it's about. He's not, not saying we're all going to go to war. He's saying, listen, he's going to break away the oppression that holds you. Some of you are here today and you have been under the weight of sin and shame and feeling that oppression. Can I tell you, Jesus came to break off that weight, that oppression, that thing that holds us down. This new king, not like King Ahaz, he won't be prideful. He's not vengeful. He's not evil. He brings peace, and you can hope in him, and his name is Jesus Christ. He's not an earthly king. He's a heavenly king sent to earth. I love Luke 1, 26. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent to God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man who was named Joseph of the house of David. Are you picking up some of these themes now? He says, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Because, you know, she's seeing an angel with all the wings and, you know. It says, and the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom will be, there will be no end. Are you seeing the theme here? Are you noticing that these verses that we read in Christmas aren't just random incidentals, that they are connected deeply and intrinsically over thousands of years? Jesus is the promised Davidic king who brings peace to the earth. He came to redeem his people, to give us eternal life, to break the yoke of the oppressor, to give us hope. And so in verse 6 it says of Isaiah chapter 9, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I want to take just a moment, and I, I just want to touch on each of these titles real quick. Can we do that? It says, the government shall be upon his shoulders. I don't know if when you were singing that song today, the government is resting on his shoulders. They did all, then they do an amazing job singing that. That's awesome. We should probably do that at the end. <laughs> and you ever wonder, like, which government? <laughs> which government is resting on his shoulders? Like, this one, please? <laughs> which government is resting on his shoulders? 
And this is a phrase, this phrase, the government is resting on his shoulders, is a phrase representing the kingly mantle, the robe, the authority that Jesus will have upon him. Meaning, he reigns over all things when he comes. No kingdom is greater than his kingdom. He carries the authority of it all upon himself. But I love that it says before that, he'll be born. Awesome. But it says, he will be given. A son is given. Can I just encourage you today, don't skip over the fact that this is being done out of God's gracious generosity to you. Out of God's gracious love to you. That God sent his son because he loves you. That Jesus Christ comes as a gift, not a coincidence. So the government will be on his shoulders. That's why in Matthew 4, Jesus speaks the prophecy, right? The kingdom of heaven is near, meaning like literally it's near. Currently, the kingdom of heaven is near. He calls him the wonderful counselor. I like this. There's two ideas here. The idea of doing something wonderful, something miraculous, something extraordinary, and the skill of giving wise counsel. Right, some of you have had counselors in your life, but they weren't wonderful. Maybe you were in college and they told you to take some elective that ended up burning a couple thousand dollars. Some of you parents are not thankful for that counselor. You're like, I don't know if I wanted them to take poli-sci, right? <laughs> I was kind of hoping they would be a lawyer or something, right? Now they're doing some kind of art degree, and I don't understand it, right? So sometimes you don't have great counselors. Jesus is a wonderful counselor. It suggests that the Son will exhibit the miraculous acts of God. He's wonderful. Wonderful in the sense of miraculous. Since God is the source of all miraculous events and his plans are the wisest counsel to follow, that means God will work in and through this son prophesied about to demonstrate his extraordinary wisdom to plan wonderful, miraculous things. This is why Jesus is always saying, I came to do my Father's work. If you see me, you see the Father because the Father is at work in me. I love that because Jesus is always saying, I came to heal the sick and the lame and the hurting and the broken. Which means if God is at work, at work through him, guess what God is doing? God wants to heal the sick, the lame, the hurting, and the broken. As Jesus sits down with the poor, God sits down. As Jesus sits down with the prostitute, God sits down with the prostitute, right? I came to do my Father's Work. What I love is that Jesus was a wonderful counselor then and now. He guides, he leads, he directs, and he has given us the Holy Spirit as a continuation of that ministry indwelt within us to be led and to be guided by the Holy Spirit. That is an incredible thing. If you are feeling unclear, if you are feeling trapped in darkness, can I tell you that Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is the directive and direction that you need. He is the wonderful counselor. But he's also a mighty God. The word there is El Gibor. It includes this divine name of El. El. Now there's physical examples like Ezekiel, right? Uh, my strength will be God, or we would say God will be my strength. But this is specifically saying God is mighty, or the God who is a mighty warrior. This is important because he's using the divine name of God. And they're saying this son who is prophesied will be divine. And we know it specifically, though this prophecy doesn't designate that he is uh, specifically because they're using this, that he will be divine. It is made abundantly clear in Isaiah 10, 21, when God uses his, this name for himself. It says, I am this. You're like, okay, well, that kind of cleared it up, right? And that's important. Because in Scripture, no other person... Has ever, ever has God's name. And God has never called Moses, Abraham, David, or Jeremiah. So there's got to be something special about this son that's prophesied that's different than every other son, right? That he would have God's name. Why? Because he is God. And I make this point, though you might fully understand this, I make this point to be abundantly clear that Jesus is God. That's so important. Jesus is not just some robed, long-haired yoga instructor from Bethlehem. Right? He didn't come to just give some decently wise advice and some other wildly crazy opinions like, drink my blood! Right? It's like, turns out he was a vampire cult. Right? <laughs> Jesus is God. 
Jesus is God. And that's important because I don't think my hope would be that secure in a random dude from Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. There's a lot of people from Bethlehem come, gone, lived, died. There's some great people on the earth. My hope is not secured in them. It's secured in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and His authority and power. That He is a mighty God. I follow some, like, boxing USD accounts on Instagram, and I saw someone post, they're like, choose your fighter. If you were in a fight, who would you choose? And I was, like, looking at the picture, and there was all these different people pictured there, like, uh, Roy Jones Jr., and, you know, um, uh, one of them was Mike Tyson. And I was like, oh, I'm for sure picking Mike Tyson. There's some tough people on there, like Khabib. I mean, there's, there's some, Conor McGregor was on there. I was like, I'm picking Mike Tyson because he is like the baddest man on the planet. And I don't know if he can feel pain, right? <laughs> because if I'm going to be in a fight, I'm picking the toughest guy for the fight, right? Like if we're in a fight and you have a choice between me and Mike Tyson, choose Mike Tyson, right? <laughs> That's kind of the, like, my dad could be the your dad classic thing, right? <laughs> this is the reality. If you're going to choose to follow a God, follow a God that changes everything because he is everything. Don't follow a God that changes nothing. Follow a God with no authority. Don't follow something fake. Follow the real God who really has all authority and power. Because we have real battles that need a real Lord. There is real darkness that needs a real light. Don't accept a substitute light to fight real darkness. That's why Levis says he's a mighty God. He's not a wimpy God. He's a compassionate God, though. That's what I love. It says he's the everlasting Father. So not only is he the mighty God who contends for us, if you need breakthrough in your life today, God has the power and authority to bring breakthrough in your life. But also, he's an everlasting father. And this is important because if you have ever heard of the Trinity, you're like, this doesn't make sense because there's a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but now Jesus is the Father? No, that's, that's not what he's saying. He's using an idiom here. So the Trinity is the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons, one God. But he's using an idiom here to describe the Messiah's relationship to time, not his relationship to other members of the Trinity. So just as God the Father is called the Ancient of Days, so the Messiah will rule like the Father for eternity. So another way of saying this would be like eternal as the Father. Is everyone still with me? Okay. I think this is really profound because the fact that Christ reigns forever as the Father means that his kingdom reigns forever, which means his hope reigns forever. What's amazing to me is that no ruler, no matter how powerful, lives forever, right? I was reading this article about people that were, like, trying to, like, figure out how to cryogenically freeze each other, uh, you know, freeze themselves so that they could, like, be re, you know, be thawed in the future. And I thought, that's a bold move. It assumes it's going to be better in the future than it is now, <laughs> right? I mean, it's a, taking a big risk. I mean, maybe, maybe you made some good stock moves, and I don't know, maybe, I don't know, maybe with inflation, who knows, right? <laughs> but... It doesn't matter how much money you have, you will not live forever, right? It doesn't matter how great you are in the eyes of the world, you will not live forever. Which means at some point, no matter who put their hope in you, that will end. But what's amazing about Jesus is it will never end and it will never change. As Christ reigns forever, his kingdom reigns forever, which means the security of our hope is forever. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is forever faithful. He's faithful from generation to generation. That means the same grace that you have today is there tomorrow. The same power that was at the resurrection is here today and forever. The same hope for every future and healing for every past is everlasting. The same God who came to give you eternal life calls you today. Though it was 2,000 years ago that he died and resurrected, it is the same power and authority everlasting, the same hope eternal that is here today for you. It's not a lesser version. It's not played out. You're not getting the bottom of the barrel. It is 100,000% everything that God ever imagined. It is complete and total hope and healing through Jesus Christ. That is so important. Because our hope can fade, but the hope of Christ never fades because Christ never fades.
And finally, Prince of Peace. I love this one, Prince of Peace. This is the most straightforward one. This one, you know, you almost like, to, <laughs> this one, people are just like, yes. Right? With how things are going right now, it's like, Prince, he's the Prince of Peace. Yes, I would like some, please. Right? Please now. Thank you. Peace, please, for me. Thank you. Jesus brings peace. Sin and shame bring anxiety, but he broke the yoke of that oppression. Darkness brings hopelessness, but he is the light. The world is full of fear, but Jesus brings truth, and he brings grace. That's why in Ephesians 2.13 it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. Jesus is our peace does not fade. He does not leave. He does not lose. He is our peace. And I want to encourage you, if you need peace this season, there is no greater source than Jesus. You might find it temporarily in something else, but you will find it perfectly in Jesus Christ. He is our peace. Band, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite you guys up today. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7, the final moment of the prophecies. Everyone still with me? Okay, good. Verse 7. It says, of the increase of his government and the peace, there will be no end. It says, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. <coughs> Isaiah says, through this king, through this Messiah, there will be peace. No enemy can overcome it. No, uh, it will not fade away. It is here to stay. And he says he will rule with justice and righteousness forever. His rule will be perfect. He is perfect, and he will bring justice. And he gives this final note. He says, the zeal of the Lord will do this. God will do this. How can we hope that it's going to come to pass? He says, because God is zealous for it. God is fighting for it. If someone tells you they're zealous for something, they're committed to it happening, right? God is zealous for it. When Mary is told by the angel in Luke chapter 1, listen, this Davidic king is going to come through you is going to be born of you. It says in verse 34, it says, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? That's a reasonable question. What hope do I have that this will come to pass? Because right now, I'm honestly freaking out. What hope do I have? What can I put my hope in? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. It says, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. That's, that's about John the Baptist right there. Verse 37, I love this. For nothing will be impossible with God. Let me read that again to you today if you need hope. For nothing will be impossible with God. One, one more time, I want you to get this in your mind. For nothing will be impossible with God. How can I have hope this season? A season that is dark, a season that is difficult. Verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing is impossible for the Lord. You can secure your hope and your finances. You can secure your hope in your job. You can put your hope in your physical health. But they will not sustain. Right? You can try. You can try to secure them there. But if 2020 has taught us anything, they're not as secure as we thought they were. Those are not bad things. But the true security of our hope is Jesus Christ. The light who came into the darkness, who took our sin and shame, who raises us to life in the resurrection, who brings hope and healing to every person who does the impossible. Nothing is impossible with God.
This is what Advent is all about. It is about Jesus Christ, the arrival of hope. If you have been feeling hopeless, if you have been feeling trapped in darkness, hear me that a light has dawned, that a light has come for those who are in darkness. A wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting Father, a Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, God with us, God with you to give hope to your life. Would you stand with me today? I just want to invite you, just bow your head and close your eyes with me today. There's so many distractions of the world, and I just want to take a brief moment before the band leads us today to give you a chance to respond to what I believe the Lord is speaking today. And then in a moment, I'm going to open the altar, and our band's going to lead us in a song that sings the very words of this prophecy. And I'm going to invite you to be free in the way that God invites you to respond. Come forward to the altar and be prayed for. But before we do that, there's two things I want to pray, and two sets of people I want to pray for. The first this morning is if you have never experienced the hope and healing of Jesus Christ, and today you're willing to say, Jesus, I give you my life and I receive the hope and healing that comes through you. Say, Jesus, I, I surrender my heart and my sin and my shame, and I choose to follow you, and I want you to be my Savior. I need you to do a miracle in my life today. Maybe for the first time, or maybe a long time ago you made this choice, but it has not been reflective in your walk, in your relationship, and you're saying, Jesus, today I, I choose to follow you with my life. That's you very simply with every eye closed and every head bowed. I just invite you to lift your hand and then put it back down, making that choice before the Lord. I want to pray for you today. Jesus, I thank you that through you there is hope for every future and healing for every past. I pray today as we surrender our hearts and repent of all sin and unrighteousness, God, I thank you that there is hope through you, that you took our sin to the cross, that you buried them in the grave, and you rise again to the resurrection, and you invite us in. And so this morning, Jesus, we say we choose to follow you in your name. The second thing in this moment, your eyes closed, your head bowed. Today, you're here this morning, and you're saying one of two things. You're saying either this morning, I desperately need hope. I need hope. I've not been living with my hope in the Lord and secured in the Lord. I've been trying to hope in other things, hope for this next check, hope for this next opportunity. But my hope is in the Lord, and I want to hope in Him. I need the hope of Jesus Christ. Or maybe today you're like, man, I, I'm very hopeful. But there are those around me who are not. And Lord, I need you to use me as a light, to bring the light, to reflect the light of hope to others. So this morning, if you're saying, I need the hope of the Lord, I need to hope in Jesus today, or Lord, would you help lead me to bring that light to others? Would you just lift your hands? I'd be honored to pray with you today before our worship band leads us. Jesus, I thank you this morning that where you are, there is hope, that every person has hope through you. Jesus, I pray for the person today who has been struggling in darkness to and has been feeling hopeless. I pray right now by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would stir a mighty hope. God, that is not secured in their situation, but that is secured in you, Jesus, that is secured in your love, that is secured in your death and resurrection. We pray hope in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray right now, God, I pray in this church over these people in this place, I pray that this church would reflect the light of hope in the name of Jesus. I pray that out of this church would come an overflow, that we would not see this as a season to just merely hope to attend what you're doing in the body of Christ, but we would see it as a call to engage in the mission of bringing hope to those who are hurting. Stir 
up boldness in us, stir up passion in us, stir up mission within us to bring the light of hope to others, that the wonderful counselor, that the everlasting father, that the mighty God, that the prince of peace sees them and knows them and loves them and God stir up revival upon our spirits and upon our hearts that we might bring hope to the world. We pray this morning that hope would reside in this church by the power of the Holy Spirit. In your name, amen.